Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Welcome to this week's episode of the State of Developer Education. I'm John, and I'm here with Olivier Poupigny, who is the Director of Developer Ecosystems at Symphony. How's it going? Hey, John. Hey, everyone. Very good. Thank you. Awesome, man. Well, it's good to have you here. I always like to start off and get a little bit of background on the folks I'm talking to here. So uh, I'd love to hear a little bit uh, starting off about what you're focused on uh, doing you know, developer ecosystem work at Symphony. So it's basically uh, two parts. And the first part is developer relations. Uh, so it's the promotion of our developer platform, developer tooling, and, uh, and um, help the community of developers to build extended um, automations on top of the, the core platform. Symfony is a, a collaboration platform and um, people are interacting between each other using this platform and building solutions on top of that and and automations make them uh, remove a lot of work they were doing before with emails and uh, and and just phone calls actually um, so they become more productive and um, and uh, they can do more because everything is automated that's awesome and what exactly is symphony if you could give the elevator pitch because I'm not sure everyone is going to be familiar with it Sure. Uh, so it's dedicated for financial institutions uh, to collaborate. You know that uh, in uh, investment banking, you have like mostly two sides, the, 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 the one who is buying and the one who is selling, and they are trading on uh, between them. And um, um, basically to do those trades, they are using a communication uh, way. So to, to agree on a price, to... Uh, get informed about what kind of products uh, is available on the market. Um, so, and and it's very complicated to find the right person, and as well as talking securely. And um, in, in so, I will I will go back to to that in a, in a moment. But finding the right person is very important. At Symfony, uh, you cannot create an account like that. Your company is creating an account for you. So when you talk to uh, Olivier at Symfony, you're sure it's Olivier at Symfony. Uh, you cannot pretend to be someone else. So that's the very uh, first important part. The second part about security, all the messages that are sent through the platform are encrypted by a key that is um, owned by the client. Which means that at Symphony, we don't know what traders are talking about. So we cannot influence the market. So that's also very important. And the, the, the second part of the security is to do things uh, in a compliant way. It's very important for banks to report to um, government agencies that what they are doing and regulators that what they are doing is um, is conformed to all the rules 
they are following all the rules. So all of that is by nature um, pro provided by the core platform. And the platform is open through an API. And this is where developers come to the scene. So you're talking about a platform here that is operating in a highly regulated space um, using fairly advanced technology, you know, principles, right? Like you're talking about security and verification and trust and, mm -hmm. you know, um, encryption and, and like all of these things that the average developer would not necessarily be able to create on their own. Um, you know, to, to build on your platform, how much of that does a developer actually have to understand? They have to understand like, the way the core platform is uh, working uh, because to have access to the API, they need to have also some kind of tokens that is given by both the Symfony server, cloud server, and the key managers because they need their, their development, uh, which is for automations bots, need to be um, to have the authority to encrypt and decrypt messages. And for that, they need to authenticate to a key manager and get uh, get the proper key to decrypt and encrypt their own messages. So yeah, so the developers who are using it, they they need the proper authorization, but they don't need to be a security expert on their own. Absolutely, absolutely. Everything is provided um, out of the box, so they, they don't need to be an expert in security to use the, 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 the power of the platform. Oh, that's really cool. Like you're abstracting away all of these incredibly complex technical concepts into something that you know, a wider group of developers can use, obviously in a, in a specific space, but still a wider group than, you know, the amount of cybersecurity experts in the world. Um, well, what do you find are, you know, the, the areas that you most need to educate developers uh, when it comes to the platform? Like, what do they need to learn to be successful? Well, once they, they learn the basic of the, I uh, would say the architecture of the platform, and how it works. It's um, and and the amount of APIs that are available to build things because you can do everything that a user can do and more. So you can not only create and send messages or create chat rooms and add members, but you can also send very sophisticated um, messages like a form, for example, or or reply automatically when there is a form has been submitted in a message. So things like that a user cannot do, and um, and this is this is available from the API that we're providing. But all of this API gives you, like, sky's the limit. It gives you a lot of possibilities. So it's very difficult to consume this API because of its richness. And this is a part of developer relations, and and why also it is under uh, something we call developer ecosystem. Is we build developer tools to ease the consumption of APIs. So we have a bot developer kit. And if you want, so if you want to, uh, to go beyond just what a bot can do, you can automate workflows. So we have a workflow developer kit as well. So we build those tools and we educate developers how to use those tools so that consumption of APIs is, is really easy. What are some of the design principles and best practices that that you use for 
you know, building a good API or developer kit? So our engineering team, and by the way, the, the engineering team uh, is, is based in uh, south of France. I'm French, so I'm happy to say it. Um, in uh, in Sofia Antipolis near Nice. And um, we have very good engineers there. They, they, they worked uh, in the past. They have super experience on transactional applications that I cannot say the name, but everyone knows on, on the, in the world. They, they build this API in order to make sure that uh, everything is possible and everything is reliable, which is very important. We have kind of uh, uh, availability that is near 100%, like 99.99%. Um, and considering the number of customers that we have and the number of messages that are sent by day, it's pretty impressive. And uh, for that, of course, they, they, they use the best practices, all the best practices, not only to develop an API management platform, but to be even uh, event-driven, which is uh, important in what we do, because it's not just like consuming API and, and, and it's completed. Building APIs on top of a platform like Symfony requires to a certain kind of consumption uh, for real-time events. So when you create a bot, for example, the bot is called uh, by by the Symfony server when there is an event. So when there is a new message, when there is a new chat room that has been created, when the bot has been added into a room, things like that, all the events are sent back to the bot itself. So we, to make sure that the developers of the community are using the best practices, uh, put in place an education platform with uh, trainings about how to develop bots, how to implement and automate workflows with certifications. So at the end of those courses, they can pass their certification and use that certification uh, to add to their profile, which is uh, something when um, I'm, I'm Thinking about young developers who are just starting their career, if they go through this uh, certification path, they can knock the door to the big banks and say, I already have experience to work with, uh, with Symfony and develop Symfony bots. Everything on Symfony for developers is free. And um, we, you register at uh, developers.symfony.com and you have an access to the Symfony uh, sandbox, developer sandbox. So you can use Symfony. Uh, you can um, create bots. You have also a bot, uh, a bot account to to be able to create your own bot, and you can follow all the courses. Yeah, that that can be a really powerful thing, right? To take a skill and bring it from company to company, so that you can immediately have an impact as a developer, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to further their careers. So, talking about your career, you know, we're talking about some fairly complex technical concepts here, uh, or at least, you know, how developers interact with them. Um, I imagine you didn't have that familiarity when you started, right? Like this is something you've built over time. You know, how exactly did you get your start in, in tech and, you know, developer relations? So I have been lucky because in France at, uh, at the time I was at school, there was a dedicated cursus for 
developers, which was even before your bachelor degree. So it's really you're out of middle school and you go into that route. Well, what was so, the tech stack you were learning? At the beginning, it was uh, COBOL, Pascal, and C. And um, it was a long time ago, so compiling a COBOL uh, program, for example, took me like 20 minutes. A simple program, not a big one. Simple program. It was like 20 minutes on the mainframe. So I can tell you that uh, if you miss an indentation, if you miss a comma, a dot, or something, you're uh, really like wasting a lot of time and uh, that you can't afford when you are uh, at school and uh, you want to get your, your diploma. So it taught me how to compile the programs in my head before clicking on the summit. Today, everything is, is instantly. And, uh, and I'm happy to see it. But well, yeah, when I started, it was not like that. Um, and then I, I had the chance to see the transition between mainframe to PC. And this was quite interesting because personal computers came into, into the loop. It was a, in itself an innovation, but at the same time came another innovation. It was the network innovation with uh, Ethernet, which was hard to connect into inside the same building, multiple personal computers. It totally created new era of, uh, and we called it client-server applications. Um, and Oracle came at that time. Uh, Cybase, Cybase created uh, triggers and and stored procedure, for example, in SQL language. Um, and I worked for, for for this company. I worked also for another company called uh, PowerSoft, who was one of the first client-server. Um, uh, developer tool, and um, and it was a very great opportunity to to learn and 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 be at the top of each new innovations that were that were uh, that was uh, happening. It's quite unusual how you got into tech, and what I mean by that is, you know, for someone in in middle school or uh, high school to be learning what at the time was a bleeding edge technology is quite rare, right? Like even today, you're not going to find a lot of middle school or high school students who know, you know, Rust or Go or, you know, name your language of choice. Um, I, I mean, what, what do you think has changed, right? Like, do you think that students now have that same opportunity that you had at the beginning? I don't think they have the same opportunity just because the industry of IT is so big and so unavoidable, unavoidable right now. Uh, I think in in a few you'll have to teach how to code to any 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 child. It's gonna become like a normal language, like whatever learning algebra, language. Actually, everyone will learn yeah. coding. Yeah, whatever the language. I, I started to learn how to program with uh, something called pseudocode which was not the language in itself. It was, I had a, a piece of paper, I had a, a pen, and I had to write the um, agro algorithm of what I would like to program. And this was corrected by the teacher. Those things that won't happen anymore. 
And now we are like, uh, we have a lot of uh, variety of languages that is changing every day. And it's very difficult to start because you're going to become uh, automatically an expert of one language, but you don't have this foundation that I had the luck to have. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we should think a little bit twice about that because um, educating new developers need to to go really beyond just the languages or the topology of networks right it's, it's much more than that uh, you need to you need to learn how the computer is working you need to open the computer and see what is inside and what the memory and the cpu are doing all together and how instructions are computed at the very core level interesting i you know it's funny like i am you know certainly younger younger than you and i started off you know with more scripting languages than compiled languages but i still remember you know, when I was getting started with computers, which was for me, the days of dial up, right? So it was still, you know, pre-modern internet. In order to make my computer do anything remotely interesting required a high degree of technical knowledge. And that was uh, a forcing factor for learning how everything worked, right? Like I built my own server to have in my basement to, to run, you know, Linux and, and do interesting things. And there's this interesting, like, you know, kind of like balancing act where as technology becomes more accessible and easier to use, uh, the level of sophistication required to use it goes down and you don't have that forcing function that you certainly had and I, I had as well, where you needed to learn something to make it work. You know, like if you pop open an iPad, a child can figure out how it works, like a baby, literally. Um, there's no barrier to entry which is nice because because more people can use it but you maybe lose something in the process absolutely the the problem is not when everything works but when uh something does not work and then you need to understand what is not working in order to find a workaround or because you reached a certain limit uh, or because there is an error somewhere yeah i was i was always um amused to um help the developers I had to in my team sometimes. I do it less and less, I'm telling you the, the truth. But um, a few years ago, I was always amused how fast I would find their issues. And yeah. I think it it's back to the origin. It's back to the fact that I was not able to compile in less than 20 minutes my program, then I can read a code and say, oh yeah, there is a problem here. Yeah, I mean, problem solving and mental debugging is its own skill set that is kind of like tangential to programming. So you mentioned Power Builder before my time, but I've done a little bit of research. What was that experience like for developers, you know, building those first kind of client server applications, right? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that and even like what the similarities are and differences are to what we have today. Well, it was... It was super interesting. I missed that time too because uh, it was a transition. Uh, it, it was a disruptive technology, not not Power Builder in itself, but the client server. Imagine I was in France at that time. I was educating the developer community already. 
And I was doing training on site because there was not a possibility to do it remotely. And so I was traveling all the, the France, all the big cities and uh, to meet developers. And I was, I used to spend a week with them, like five days in a row toward complete course on how to develop a client server application using Power Builder. And it was funny because at the first, the first day it was people who was coming from COBOL and mainframe and they never touch a personal computer or a mouse. And I remember one day I had to tell someone to not push the mouse, to not push the mouse with the finger, but take the mouse with the hand. So it was like the, the very first thing to learn is how to manage the mouse. And, and it was not a user, it was a developer, you know, someone who's going to develop something. And um, at the end of the five days, people were amazed about the new capabilities they were able to do. Things were more visual, things were more event, uh, eventful. So it, it was uh, a great satisfaction for them. And, and for me as a trainer at the time, uh, because you know uh, the product that we were using for Builder was quite awesome. But what are some technologies today that you think inspire developers in the same way? Well, I would. There is not one technology today. You have like a myriad of technologies in front of you that you can assemble. I really believe that we can reach composable business in not. I would say not a couple of years, but a little bit more where it will be as easy as building Legos. For that, you have expert of every technology who will be able to bring those uh, composable components that will be ready to be assembled in a, in a current uh, environment. Yeah. And this will have, this will provide new capabilities for yet another layer of developers that will be less tech-savvy but they will understand the concept of creating a software. And uh, it's a little, we, do, we do a little bit like that already today without seeing it. When you, when you use, for example, React to do front-end applications, uh, React comes with already predefined components that uh, you assemble and let you create your own components that you assemble to build your front-end. It's pretty easy, and you can do, I would say, very easily, 80% of what you have to do. The problem comes when you have to do the 20% of specific things that your designers are asking you that becomes pretty difficult to build. But uh, at one point, we won't have to do that, I think. Yeah, it's funny. Like I feel like a lot of those technologies have come full circle. Like when I was looking up Power Builder, you know, I was remembering back that uh, I think it was in, it must've been high school for me that they taught us visual basic in a class. And there's a lot of similarities to, to how the whole architecture worked. And now you see these tools like retool or similar things that are kind of reinventing that for a modern web stack. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is also something I tried to do prior to join Symfony. I created two softwares. One was called Essentity Presentation Server, which was a kind of framework to build portal applications. And there was already this, what we call the portlets, uh, that were able to communicate between each other. So it was a kind of way to assemble 
visual components and and build those uh, those applications. Um, then when uh, when the, the product has been sold, uh, I created another product called Dreamface. Dreamface was what we call today a low code platform, and this helps you to visually build your application, mobile or web, directly in the in the cloud without with just um, a web browser. You know tools like Wix uh, to build websites uh, visually with a lot of options. This was Dreamface, but more for application, like with relations with data databases. Um, and when the product has been sold as well, that I joined Symfony, and today we are working on a workflow developer tool, which is also which provides a low-code approach. So it's always the same. It's a kind of evolution. It's always the same uh, try, uh, same thing that we are trying to provide to developers to ease their work and give them also the power of creating new things by themselves. I was amazed when we released our WDK workflow developer kit uh, by wh wh what developers uh, can do. It comes today with a studio that uh, provides a visual representation of your workflow. And um, I participated to the development of that visual representation. And all the tests I did was lower than what the developers are doing right now. Like the kind of uh, of uh, diagram that they are building is like, oh, I, I never thought that they would do that. <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty neat. Yeah, I, that's always one of my favorite things about working with groups of developers is that no matter how you designed the system or what the intended use was, people will take it in whatever direction they need to get the job done, and that leads to some really weird and interesting and clever you know, solutions to problems. Um, I, I mean, we see this all the time at our hackathons. Like it's, it's like that, uh, that funny, like saying of like, oh, if you have, you know, monkeys at a keyboard, right. They'll eventually create Shakespeare. It's almost the same thing with developers where if you have a, enough developers all trying to do something with technology, you know, how they get there is almost irrelevant, but they get to some really interesting outcomes. <laughs> Not that developers are monkeys at a keyboard, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I'm curious, like the platforms you're talking about co-founding, you know, now almost like 10 to 20 years ago, which was a very different era of the internet. You know, what do you think differentiated what you were building from some of the modern tools? Like if we talk about a retool or something in that vein, or even something really advanced like Salesforce that people do build full applications on top of, you know, what changed from when you were building that to, to now? Well, I don't see a lot of changes, to be honest with you. Uh, it's just a different, uh, I, I, yeah, the tool I was doing was uh, very visual. And at that time, the um, um, front-end languages were not very stable. Hmm. Angular, React arrived at the same time. It was um, it was not very stable. Uh, Angular version 1, then the version 2 was completely different. Version 3 never came out. And version 4 was even totally different than version 2. It's very difficult to build tools when uh, the, the, the core languages are, are not stable. Now I think that 
we are in a more stable environment and it's um it becomes a uh, more it becomes easier to build uh, applications or to to do an applications like i did 10 years ago yeah there's this like a maturity is, is of the ecosystem there is always a part that is in nature because you know the nature of developer you provide something and either they like it or they don't and you can't do anything for that you know you need and we have new generations that are coming that may not like what was done previously and if tomorrow there is a new tool offering a new not new capabilities but a new way to achieve the same kind of uh, goal maybe they will like it more and there is nothing you can you can do with it I, i'm not sure someone that is um new to the it market uh trying to use the salesforce capabilities to build uh, uh an app exchange app will really like it so even that might be kind of part of a previous generation already absolutely this is what i think yeah so I guess with that in mind, right? Like talking about that next generation of developer, how how would you recommend that someone get their start if they're you know just entering the industry today? Like what what should they be doing with their time? IT is probably the most competitive era, so do not try to be the expert of everything. It's just impossible. Try to find the domain that is the most in that interests you the most and uh that also um offers the the best um opportunities and it's not only the technology it's the technology plus the market there is there is no future of a technology if it's not linked to a market behind that so uh for example symphony is for the financial uh industry and uh this is its future as well right uh, if if tomorrow so it's better to be the best in that domain than trying to be uh, the best of all domains like the more the more you're open the more difficult it is because the competition is very tough we symphony cannot compete with microsoft uh with slack with uh, with all of those uh, big uh, players but they cannot compete with us on our market because what we do is very specific and our team is full of experts of that domain so it's a little bit the same if there is a young developer who who wants to jumpstart his career i would say try try to have an overview of everything that is available and try to be an expert in one domain and start from here and keep an eye open to move forward toward the new generation of technologies so understand the foundations but specialize absolutely very important otherwise it's going to be quite difficult i i don't think i always told myself there is always someone who knows much more than you mm-hmm. who is much better than you uh so don't don't try to pretend anything just try to be as good as possible in what you are you are doing in what uh your duty is mm-hmm. that way you create 
records that um, that helps you to progress in your career and new opportunities. Then you have to be open to new opportunities, new challenges as well, new risks. Uh, always trying to become better, um, to learn new things, but still become more and more the best in what you're doing. Yeah. Is there any like parallel piece of advice that you would want uh, developer relations professionals to take? Like, how do you think they should be supporting their developers going forward? It's it's very tough questions because um, at Symfony, we started developer relations before the pandemic. And we were doing hackathons, developer meetups. It was working very fine. And then the pandemic arrived and there was no more hackathons. There were no more meetups. So the the events we were doing was digital hackathons. But you cannot do digital hackathons on one day, one full day, because people, um, I mean, professionals, they they don't have time to spend one day on on uh, on hacking. So need to find a new way to run those events, um, still make them enjoying learning and learning and trying to innovate. It's uh, it, it's quite difficult, uh, I, I would say. So unfortunately, I don't think I have a good answer to, to that question because we are still looking for the right way to do it. Uh, we were, our metrics were always like the, amount of developers in our community, but we realize also that developers coming to our community were coming because they had something to do with our technology. And once they did their project, project goes into a maintenance mode. They don't need really to stay with our technology for forever. They need, probably they will be assigned to some other project where there is no symphony. So the kind of actions from developer relations um, are going to become a little bit more centric to developer teams that are pretty active instead of thinking globally about the community. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, uh, well, one last question to finish up. I always like to finish on a fun one. Is there anyone in the world of tech that you would want to take to lunch? Like someone you've never met, but but look up to? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> it has to be related to tech tech or not. Hey, well, uh, however you want to take it. <laughs> I would say Albert Einstein. That is a good answer. Not not a software developer, but probably smarter than most. Absolutely. And I'm sure if he would have access to all the technologies we had today to calculate even faster, he would, find, he would have found much more things. <laughs> That's a really interesting thought experiment. What would a, a genius from pre-internet days do with, with technology? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would be super curious. I- I'll be thinking about that one for a while. Well, um, <laughs> I-, I appreciate your time and everything you've shared. Um, thank you again for, for joining us. Thanks, John, and thanks, everyone. Thank everyone for listening. Uh, happy hacking, everyone. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking or MLH. To find out more about MLH and how we power innovation, cultivate developer communities, and teach technical skills to students around the world, visit mlh.io. 
And then make sure to search for Developer Education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MLH, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking. Thank <laughs> you.